Hello and welcome to Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, and Something Brewed. A music and beer review show where we talk about music and beer and try not to get too drunk in the process. Every week we talk about our favorite albums, a new album, make fun of our guests' albums, and then crack a cold one and shoot the shit. My name's Nick Lancaster. And I'm Andrew Pintel. And we'll never do that intro again. <laughs> so yeah, without without much more ado, let's jump into it. Nick is taking over something old today, and he's going to talk about... So, <laughs> so I was notified right before we started recording that this album was released on September 11th, 2001. Which is going to be really important, this but is. not quite yet. Uh, so we're talking about something old, which is uh, Ben Fold's first solo album post Ben Fold's 5 uh rock in the suburbs absolutely this is uh so this is an album that i've actually been listening to god for such a long time and it was sort of my gateway into ben folds i think yeah senior year of high school i had two cds in my car and one was the jersey boys soundtrack which is super <laughs> fucking funny but uh, it, it rock in the suburbs, and yeah, it was all bootlegged because I downloaded the uh, torrent Ben oh, Folds God. discography, which <laughs> did not include any Ben Folds 5, so <laughs> this is really where I started. Well, cause, so my intro to Ben Folds was actually through a few... Honestly, I originally thought that Ben Folds was kind of like a novelty artist. Oh, absolutely. Um, everybody knows um, Bitches Ain't Shit yeah. and the one with Regina Spector. And... Right, with the Tim and Eric music video. Yeah. So, like, that was one of my early introduction was, like, Bitches Ain't Shit, and then it was All You Can Eat, which was, like, oh, one yeah. of those, like, sort of, like, making fun of corporate consumer culture things. So, I was like, oh, this is kind of a novelty, funny musician guy, like a, a Weird Al, but on piano. And then I actually dug deep into this dude's discography, and... Uh, it's it's so much more than that. But e even within uh, uh this album, which I think Nick's gonna dive into a little deeper, um, there there's stuff that's not quite different from there. Uh, still fighting it has a lot of uh like fast food references. Like a ton of it is is Ben Fold's sort of just just commentary on the world around him, and it was his first chance to do it without having to be jazzy enough for the uh the bandmates to be okay with it right and i think a lot of i'm pretty sure most of the instrumentation on the album is just ben himself like i think this is his first mm -hmm. uh like solo act where he didn't have to rely on anyone else it's cheeky. So, like, it's, it's in the 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 inside cover is is all of the instruments he played because it lists all of them and says by ben folds <laughs> and it's it's enough that <laughs> Uh, so, I, I mean, I was listening to it, you know, more recently because this I was thinking about it earlier and Rock in the Suburbs is one of those albums where it's like a really good, sad movie that I can't actually listen to like frequently. Like some of my favorite movies of all time 
are also like some of the saddest movies that I've ever seen. So it's like, it's one of those things where I, I indulge yeah. and I indulge for a while oh, yeah. and I'm just kind of bummed out for a hot sec. Yeah. I watch interstellar once a year. And, uh, <laughs> that's about as, is it's my favorite movie. That's as much as I can watch it is right. once every 12 months. So I love the fact that it, it's actually kind of weird. Like, there's a oh, lot yeah, of like, that? like, no, the, the album itself is kind of weird. It is. It's, it's, so okay so let's just dive right into the september 11th thing this album is is fun and poppy but just emotional enough to be really truly engaging and that was not a thing that and this is so cliched uh 16 years out but like 9-11 changed what people wanted to listen to and i think if 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 this album had been released a month earlier and people had a chance to hear these songs in a different context, it would have been reviewed better, but it, it, it comes in and, and, and we're starting with, you know, Annie waits. And this is a sad song. It's about a breakup. And the way it goes is just bittersweet at best. But like getting back to like what I was talking about with weird, there's like a drum machine on and on any ways. Oh yeah, it's like boop boop beep boop boop beep boop boop. Like it's definitely like a programmed drum machine. So it's like he's taking a lot of chances. I feel like with it, it's just like he's using a lot of weird synthesizer sounds. He's using a lot of like programmed drum beats, but it it, it works. And those synth claps though are part of the most iconic part yeah. of the whole album. Like you you, you see him <laughs> in concert, everybody claps the any ways claps. They're they're all there for it. All but speaking of claps on this album. Uh, when, you know, when I first listened to it, I listened to it a lot, but I don't know, there were certain like subtleties that I never really picked up on. Mm-hmm. So when he did, I've seen him perform Zach and Sarah live, which I believe is the second track on the album. Mm-hmm. I didn't, cause I knew there were claps in the song. I didn't realize that they corresponded with the lyrics. Oh, so yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm watching this live and there's like that line where he's like, oh, what does he say? Uh, he says, because, uh, uh, because she tries to keep the voice in her head quiet because at home it'll get her smacked. At home it gets her smacked. And everyone in the audience, I feel like, but me, went like, yeah. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> That's her getting smacked. Like, my, yeah. uh, that dawned on me it's- live seeing that performed and i was like oh my god it's dark humor <laughs> in a very light pop setting it is <laughs> it is it is just very out of place in a way but it's amazing yeah um i'm trying to i'm trying to you know keep it kind of short but not you know too short uh thinking about the rest of the stuff on the song and this album uh yeah still fighting it uh perpetually bums me out all the time because uh, i'm pretty sure he dedicated that song to his son and then, I think he's he's done that for every one of his children. Because on um, and his uh, stepson or half son, it can't be a half son. That's not how that works. Well, that dude has had so <laughs> many marriages that didn't work out. Then I'm pretty sure he did an interview where he was like, "Yeah, maybe marriage isn't for me." Because uh-huh. he's, I think he's had like four different wives. And he like, has had four. He has four ex-wives currently. Yeah, he's just collecting them all. Uh, on Songs for Silverman, uh, Gracie is about his daughter, and like still fighting it is about his son. His son, who I, his his son, I believe, is named Andrew, and then he has a uh, uh, stepson too, who has another song for him. But okay, later on. But yeah, I mean, still fighting it. It starts out, it's kind of silly. He's like, "Good morning, son. I'm a bird in a brown poly." Like it's kind of he's like a fast food like. Uh, yeah, and he's in a polyester shirt. Um, you want a coke? Maybe some fries. But it's like that type of stuff 
I don't know. I feel like it evokes that like nostalgic feel. And I don't know. It's like, it's so, I don't want to say it's just sad. It's like bittersweet. This whole album yeah. is like a combination of funny. Because it's bittersweet. Pop. Yeah. That's the thing at the end of the day. This is a pop album, but it's all challenging to listen to. Yeah. It's not like, you know, conventional lyrics or like, you know, straightforward stuff like this is a party we're having a good time you know that that type of stuff this is it's pop music with like really inventive and honestly a lot of the time bittersweet sad lyrics we hit the and we hit the fifth track on that album and the um the guest vocals are the uh you know, I should have learned his name it's the lead singer of Cake John McRae or something yeah, like that yeah yeah it's the lead yeah. singer of Cake and um his harmonies on that song are probably my favorite part of that song. So I think for our first uh, clip, we'll play that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll uh, we'll hit you with uh, John McRae from Cake singing with Ben Folds on uh, Fred Jones Part 2, which is interesting because Fred Jones Part 2 is actually the second part of another song from... It's called Cigarette from, off of the original Ben Folds it's, album, right? It's, uh, it's from Whatever and Ever Amen. Oh, the second one. Which is, um, he he got that from a newspaper line. That was the longest headline he'd ever read. Oh, yeah? And it was like, Fred Jones is worn out from taking care of his, oh, something like his wife who's who can't sleep because of the drugs. It's like a, it's like a long yeah. headline. Well, it's funny. It's a long headline. It's actually a pretty short song. Cigarette is only, I think like a minute 42. Yeah. It's the shortest song maybe on a Ben Folds five album, <laughs> but yeah, he brings it back. Uh, ooh, 93. So eight years later, yeah. he does the sequel to it on Which this album. It's totally, he created everything else about it. Cause like the first cigarette is actually yeah. based on like a newspaper article. And then mm-hmm. Fred Jones part two is more about based on some Ohio guy's dad when it comes down. To <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know if we've already played it at this point in time in the recording. <laughs> yeah. Is it- well, you just listened to Fred Jones part two or uh, you're about to. <laughs> think we could take- okay. And then you've already listened to Fred Jones part two. <laughs> so we're going to take one second. All right. So maybe my personal favorite song on the tra- on the album, uh, maybe I-, I guess lyrically is uh, probably carrying Kathy. Oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know. I like, um, I like the way there's one particular line, or I guess we was talking about this dream that he's been having and they're carrying her body through the grave. And he says, there's always somebody, uh, uh, somebody's always said it's always been this way. There's always somebody carrying Kathy. Like yeah. the idea that like, even after she's dead, someone's carrying her. I don't know. I really it's, it's like, like her brothers and her dad. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So, so there's always someone just making it happen for Kathy. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It's just like a really subtle sadness. I think, um, because I think the lyrically the song's about he's like trying to convince his friends like no no she's great you know what what does he say uh, she's not like this you know or uh, uh, it, to... it's not always been this way yeah so that I don't know that's every single song on here is like it's so poppy but it's so somber and yeah. sad especially lyrically so like Carrie and Kathy kind of holds a special place in my heart um, yeah the, the 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 turn of phrase of, of one night. Uh, she climbed out of my out of the picture frame into the frozen air. Yeah, which which is 
pretty clearly that Kathy passed on, but it, it's just... And while that's so, happening, there's like this high soprano line that's being hit. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's so... It's a pretty song. Yeah. About like... Ah, someone died. who like <laughs> someone who has no self confidence and it eventually just kind of kills her. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a it's a really remarkable piece of of musical literature, I would say. So like, kind of wrapping up on rock in the suburbs, there is the uh, titular track. Titular, that's a fun word. Rock in the suburbs, which I know I know a few. Fun is it titular or is it eponymous? Eponymous? I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure. Okay, we'll figure that one out. <laughs> we'll fix that in post. Uh, so Rock in the Suburbs is, I guess, the title. It's this, the same. It's the song that is the name of the album. And it's sort of this middle class. I don't want to like not an opera, but it's like a middle class, like sort of homage to like living in the suburbs. But it's also like taking dead aim at the same type of people that live in uh, like the, the suburbs and the middle class type people. I mean, that's like the first line of the song is, let me tell you all what it's like being middle class and white. And he's sort of like kind of poo-pooing on that idea. Mm-hmm. And, and Ben is from North from like, Carolina, no, I believe. Yeah, North Carolina. But he, he went to high school in, in, in Ohio, which is very, like, that's that's the sentiment in Ohio is we're all working class white people which is a a weird place it was a weird place to be in then it's a weird place to be in now the album ends with uh the luckiest which i guess would be his most popular song most famous song it's it's uh if i remember correctly the story goes that he was commissioned to write a song for a movie it was supposed to be this big romantic love song. And I'm pretty sure like the string arrangements in the song, uh, he like wrote them and arranged them in a way to match what's going on visually in the movie. So when you hear like a string swell, that's like, you know, these two people dancing and it's like slow-mo and like he wrote this song and I'm pretty sure it got cut from the movie or like they didn't want it. I think so. I think the luckiest sort of fell short, which is really funny because in, in the terrible movie Godzilla 2000, you've got Air, one of the nicest Ben Folds five songs, never made it on its own album, which is which is uh, the like th- the ending theme to Godzilla 2000. Oh my god! Is Ben Folds five and he hits the luckiest and they just they cut it they cut it clear. I did not know that. I haven't. I have not seen Godzilla 2000 in a hot second. I did yeah. not know that song was in there. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about Over the Hedge another time. Right. <laughs> right. And like, what's what's cool about the Luckiest is like, I know every year on Valentine's Day, Ben will actually um, print copies of like the the score and then like autograph it and send them out to people on Valentine's so Day. Sweet. So I guess the album. The, the 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 last song on the album kind of ends with a high note, but it's still got some sad shit in it. Yeah, it's it, it's a full life, so we're ending with somebody dying, and that's like the nicest he gets the whole time. Is yeah. like, yeah, I love you, but also I'm dead now. Well, but it's like, imagine if like you were like a young like a, a girl, and I was like an old person, and he he kind of dabbles into this whole idea of fate. He's like, would we know? Yeah, if we were 50 years apart in age, would I know that you're you and I'm me and we're us? Right. And that's not, I mean, that he's also, he's touched on that on a lot. Um, I'm thinking of From Above. 
Yeah. From oh, uh, yeah. the Nick Hornby Benfolds album a couple years later. We we all have uh, true loves, but we walk past them every day. It's sort of the sentiment yeah. of that one. So it's like Ben Folds is like a romantic nihilist almost. That's kind of like the vibe that I get. He believes in it, but he doesn't believe it's for him. Yeah. Yeah. And because, you know, what he said about like having four wives, like, hey, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. But he, he, he obviously understands it and knows it pretty well. Uh, and then you wanted to touch on uh, Not the Same, which is uh, right before kind of like yeah, so the near end of the album. Before the whole thing's over, we get, we, we get Not the Same, which is a very nice uh, piano song that's got some, some drum fills that if you're a Ben Folds fan, you know very well. But this song, and this has happened a couple times, so Smoke on the second Ben Folds 5 album, Whatever and Ever, Amen, is taken the the lyrics are taken from a letter he was sent by a friend and not the same is based on the experience of i don't know if he's a friend but a gentleman at the a party that the uh robert robert slages was the i think he was i think it was his party because they uh, yeah at robert slages party that's the yeah. line on the song yeah and so of ben folds five um this is a guy who did acid, went into a tree, and came down the next morning and decided he was a born-again Christian. And the whole song is, he explains it in concert, if you haven't seen it, that it's where religion and getting real messed up come around on the other side. <laughs> and you listen to the song, and you're like, that's, that's pretty moving. And it's also like not the saddest thing you've sung. And it's the one that's based on a real story. And so he sings all these very sad personal soliloquies of what he's come up with and he's saying something kind of inspiring and you're like oh that's the that's the one that he knows a guy who did that the most inspiring thing and like happy uplifting thing could be is a guy getting high and then coming down a born again christian yeah <laughs> and that that song is also like a riot in yeah. person like seeing him perform it live oh yeah the way he'll, he'll pull the crowd to do uh the parts separately and and together and and then make a human orchestra oh yeah and then he'll you know he'll he'll kind of conduct the audience and like bring his hands way down low and everyone will get quiet and then he'll bring them up and it'll get loud and yeah seeing if, if you can definitely see ben folds live because it's probably one of the it, it's very funny he's a very funny person and the way his his crowd interaction is just fantastic so nick what this segment comes down to is one, what do you think the lasting impact of this album is? And two, how many stars out of ten? <laughs> what would arbitrary you number? Yes, what arbitrary ranking would you give this masterpiece, <laughs> which you're going to tell us the intangibles first, and then make up some tangibles? Yeah, so I guess for me me personally, I would recommend this album. Uh, it it's one of those albums that you can kind of it it has it has aged very well. Absolutely, it, it just it wasn't really in vogue at the time. Yeah, this is because this is like an artist who's kind of done his own thing, pretty much his whole career. So this is like accessible at any point in time in your life, and the songs and the lyrics and everything about it still is very resonant, especially I guess with me. Uh I can't really think of any weak tracks. On this album, there's nothing really that's like 
that I'll skip over. That's just like, eh. I mean, obviously in this conversation right now, we didn't talk about some of the tracks, but that's for time. Like there's not really any song on here that I I would skip over or just like, you know, is not worth listening to. So I guess I'd give it like a seven or eight out of 10. Okay. Well, you have to decide. Because oh, God. that's what we do is we objectively decide. I'm going to say eight. Many, I'm gonna eight, say eight, eight, eight out of ten. Eight out of eight ten. Podcast yeah. internet points. I don't know. Eight. Yes. Eight. Eight. Eight <laughs> out of ten. Rocking the suburbs points for Benefolds. <laughs> you did real good, kid. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, So switching gears a little bit, the format of the show is something old and something new. And I think with the new segment, we're going to try and give a more uh, straight up. Uh, sort of album review. So this is going to be more formal than just a free-flowing conversation. So taking the reins with uh, 2017's uh, Woodstock by Portugal the Man. So before Woodstock was even released, I knew at worst it was going to be an album with two cool singles on it. Feel It Still went from non-existence to freaking omnipresent in a matter of days you couldn't get away from it if at least if you were me and uh so young although it is not ridiculously huge as feel it still was present upon my entrance to several bars restaurants coffee shops and house parties these two songs aren't exactly masterpieces they're lyrically repetitive but not beyond accepted indie pop range what they are though is cool The production is tight, and they have a feel and emotion that is captivating. Suffice it to say, I was excited to hear this album when it dropped, but I was afraid in the back of my head that it would just be a platform to propel these very well done, super cool singles, and not an entity in and of itself. The first track, number one, starts with crowd noise and the antique sound of a sample. Freedom, freedom is the cry, and then it just takes off. The sample continues, sometimes I feel like a motherless child, which many music lovers immediately understand what we're doing here, but the antiquity has shifted. The driving bass has taken off, and just as just as I would have expected from hearing the pre-released samples, the production is tight. It's good. And a stage is set in a very appropriate way. In just two minutes, Portugal the Man has provided an, an overture-adjacent introduction to what's coming up next. The rest of this track leans increasingly into the electronic and non-standard. They never break the 4-4 time signature, but the feeling of, of, of something just beginning is unmistakable. The next song, uh, Easy Tiger, stands in more familiar Portugal the Man territory if you've been listening along throughout the years. Treble heavy falsetto paired with clever twists of lyric hold the reins, but the song stands as really a a microchasm of the album to come. Brief interjections of altered instrumentality, both orchestral and organic. Highly but tightly produced meltdown breakdowns, if you will. Easy Tiger is creative musically using a clever yet predictable song form to present a more nuanced sound. Uh, disappointingly, coming up next, if you left your stereo on and walked away for a few minutes, you might not even know that Live in the Moment, the third song on Woodstock, has even begun. Live in the Moment is similar and in form and function to Easy Tiger, 
but without the plethora, the plethora of interesting directional decisions that that made up for uh, Easy Tiger's less than uh, inspiring lyrics. The breakdown ending of Live in the Moment leads us into Feel It Still. You've almost certainly heard it by now, but if you haven't, this is how it starts. It's fun, it's catchy, and it's sexy. Feel It Still, the first single off of Woodstock, is undeniably a hit. Um, I, you know, the world is a little different now in terms of radio play and what you hear, but but from, from day one, I, I turned on my Pandora station at work and Feel It Still was playing. And it, 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 it transports you to a, a different world. It, it's sexy and smooth and light, and it feels like, I don't know, part of the resistance but it's still just a quick, catchy, fun song. Um, almost almost like the Mark Ronson sort of production of the Amy Winehouse Valerie cover that's really just sexy instrumentals to keep at home. After that, we come into what I would call the flyover songs of Woodstock. Rich Friends and Keep On are just honestly not that much of note rich friends is the the third single on the album and it sure does play that way it's a decently composed song it's fun but it's generic you could have guessed six bands of who makes that song and and whoever you guessed would probably be like, oh yeah, no, that, that song did pretty well. I really wish I did make that. But when it comes down to it, the musicians wouldn't be super proud of it. Keep On uh, is just, I don't know. It, it's honestly, at the end of the day, the first step towards what led to my disappointment on this album, where I thought maybe we were going somewhere, we were building somewhere. We started with some really tight, good production, and what I ended up with was three good songs and a platform to share those three songs. So I'm going to move right on on. So Young is the next song, and that is easily my favorite song on the album. So Young is the second single off of Woodstock, and, and, and it occupies the same aural space as Feel It Still. It's instantly enticing, and it, and it goes on to provide the best full-on experience of a single song of anything on the album. It, it, it's, it's cool, you know, it, it, it's produced... It's very heavily produced, but it's tight and it's fun. And, you know, I could say a million adjectives, but I think I'll let the song speak for itself. Coming out of So Young, uh, Mr. Lonely takes us uh, out of the single section of the album down to the back end, where we're out of what's been released into the wild prior. And this is where Woodstock really starts to shine for a brief moment. Pop Be Damned, this song grooves and moves and is just genuinely, truly engaging. As minimalist as anything is on this album, Mr. Lonely probably only features a dozen instruments and a solid rap verse brought by Fat Lip. Definitely a contender for the Deep Cuts playlist. 
Tidal Wave uh, coming up next is a smash cut to a different band at first listen. Chorally and lyrically driven compared to uh, Mr. Lonely's isolationist vibe. Matt Gorley puts an, an effect on that is comparable to a like a funky passenger song. And the thing about that is, is it's great and it's fun, but it doesn't have the vibe that maybe this album was putting on at first. It doesn't sound like Feel It Still or So Young. It sounds like the best passenger song I've ever heard. <laughs> at the back end of everything is, and I quote, Noise Pollution, featuring Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Zoe Manville, version A, vocal up mix 1.3. This song sounds like group love. And this is sort of, this is what it comes down to, is at the end of the day, a lot of these songs are just comparisons to other artists. They made... Portugal the Man made a great sound for two or three songs, but what they really did was occupy other people's spaces, which is great if you're trying to make money, but not great if you're trying to make art. So Portugal the Man as group love, uh, is, that sounds like something I would love, something I'd truly enjoy, but it was it was the final notch into the uh, the disappointment category. Noise pollution is poppy and fun, but held back by a totally generic music sound. Is the capstone to Woodstock? It's accurate, I suppose. At the end of the day, Woodstock is exactly what I was afraid it would be. A, uh, a delivery platform that seems to be lacking in identity. There's a, a good sound and an alright feel. There's an enticing mood to a few of the tracks that really make you want to understand what was going on when when they wrote a few of the songs but as a whole thing it's just not it's just not great uh i would give woodstock six and a half out of ten some of the things that you touched on with this and uh we won't we won't have this conversation go too long uh i i, I feel like uh, I've talked to a few people about this album and they seem in the same boat as you. And I guess it, it brings up these uh, questions of, uh, I guess, authenticity, uh -huh. I guess, with me. Oh, yeah. So my history with the band other than this album is I think I saw them live once and they opened up for Primus like a few years ago. That sounds like a sick show. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great. Um, I don't remember a lot of Portugal. I don't I don't remember a lot of the stuff, but I think I'd added a few of the albums to my, my library and I probably listened to them at some point in time. So even with the negative review, I do think Portugal the Man is a good band. And that is that is honestly weighing on this review is we took uh, some very interesting sound and instead and it feels like if this was a four album LP that was like uh, number one, feel it still so young and, uh, you know, pick any other one, that'd be a good LP but it did not make a whole Portugal the Man album. It gotcha. made an album. And yeah, that's that's something that I noticed when I was listening to this was that, yeah, it was like really, really, really well produced and very slick. The production is tight. It's good. Yeah. 
uh, were, I guess this is coming from an outsider, were there previous albums like that, or were they more sort of rough around the edges, but they felt more, I guess, real, air quotes, real? So the thing about this band is that um, the, the, the thing, his name is Matt, but I know his last name is Gorley. The lead singer of Portugal the Man always has some sort of high production thing going on. It's 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 more than say Julian Casablancas's the strokes like sort of muted sort of voice. He is always in falsetto or too low, but you can tell that it's been affected by some sort of production. Okay. But the band as a whole has generally been good but real sounding and a lot of this i mean in in feel it still i think it's like the second verse you get this cool like organ keyboard hits that only exist for like 10 seconds of the entire album and 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 in these other songs you get like the introduction of something clearly synth that's thrown in It, it it feels very highly produced which doesn't necessitate a failure of it but because it sounds great but it's just it doesn't it doesn't grab everything and make a real album like it makes this like playground for production like we're in sandbox mode portugal the man right so would it be like they they just have trouble committing to a certain sound or like a certain you know like i guess tone of the album because like some of the stuff sounds really good and i guess harkens back to what they used to be but then some of it's like really produced and generic sound i do think the best stuff on the album is unique and different than what they've made before but and i guess if i was going to be very positive about this perhaps they just didn't really grasp the direction of what would be popular Mm. but i think when it comes down to it you've got an album with three good songs on it three okay songs on it and four placeholders and that's how I think it really, truly feels. I could see that. There were definitely some of the songs that I, when I was listening to it that I could find myself, you know, thinking about other things and just kind of lost focus. And then some songs, like, I think I, I think for me, like, the funkier ones, yeah, those ones, like, grabbed me and, like, pulled me in. And I was like... Absolutely. I, I think there's a place that they hit with... um, And, and so... <laughs> Feel It Still is going to be the most overplayed song of this summer, like if I had to guess. It, it really will. But You it's, will hate it eventually. Yeah, you'll hate it eventually. But, <laughs> but at the end of it, at the end of the whole thing, it's, it's like that Gautier song. It's still a pretty good song. It, but what it really is 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 you okay? Maybe you disagree, but I think I think it's a pretty good song. It's 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 universally engaging. You don't need to know anything to to be catch yourself snapping at work you know it doesn't matter where you are you're in your classroom you're you're behind a bar you're a sandwich artist (laughs) you're gonna catch yourself snapping to feel it still and it's always gonna be a pretty good song and i think a huge part of that was the mood it's almost like world building that they created there it's really something cool and different and what I really hoped for was that they could, that that was going to be the world that the whole album lived in. But instead, a couple songs got near there. And most of them were just safe songs. Safe. Yeah. Safe songs. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with it. Even at the end of the, 
at the end of the debate, I'm going to say 6.5 out of 10. All right. We'll play you out with some more Portugal the Man, and then we'll be right back with our guest, Brian, and a discussion on creature comforts by... Kush Modi. Kush Modi. Get that Kush. Get that Kush. <laughs> and now for the uh, something borrowed portion of the show, we have brought in uh fan favorite local person, uh, Brian's He's my favorite for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so we have uh, Brian Spencer in the studio to talk about his uh, pick for the week of an album that he really likes. Oh, yes. <laughs> loves. I think loves is the word loves. we should go and with. And it's probably turned me on Passionately to some in new stuff, of. too, actually. Cool. All right. So this album is uh, Creature Comforts by Kush Modi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, take it away. Yeah. So just what what's what's good about it? Why why I like it? Yeah, sure, just yeah. whatever. Cool. I want to know what you have to say about it. Cool. Uh, I think it's a pretty all encompassing uh, record. It's pretty uh, specific as far as uh, uh, you're as a listener. Uh, if you like this style of music, you're gonna you're gonna vibe with with the entire record. If how would you describe this style of music? Brian? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's got a lot of hip hop. He borrows mm-hmm. uh, Anderson Pack's voice. For a good majority of oh, the right. record, which is really yeah. big, which is which is wild considering how uh, how small Kush Modi is on a clout level, and then how how uh, monstrous Anderson Pack is. Yeah, he's a big a, name right now. He's huge. He's he's he toured with Bruno Mars in this last tour. Did a shit. world tour with Bruno Mars. I mean, that dude's like playing Super Bowls and shit like that. So Anderson Pack's doing pretty well. But having having uh, him on uh, on a record. Uh, even once is incredible, let alone like four or five times. So, Brian, um, how did you find this album? Uh, so you know, as many uh, platforms, digital digital platforms uh, are now coming out of the woodwork. Uh, the the ability to find new music is is pretty incredible, and Spotify's Discover Weekly. Uh, oh shit! Yeah, that was that I was found, it. I, I, <laughs> I was I found, like my favorite songs at Discover Weekly. Yeah, this is that was we are not sponsored by Spotify. But. Yeah, I mean, but if I, we were, you could put more money in our bank yeah, account. Yeah, Spotify. If you're interested in this, six <laughs> people listen to this. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's sort of become a joke a little bit where it's like, yeah, I discovered this Pandora artist because it led me to here and led me to here. But it's like those algorithms are actually pretty good. Yeah, oh, yeah. And like you can find a lot of stuff that you yeah. otherwise would never, it would have never been on your right. radar like at all. On a consumer base, like it's it's really incredible where digital music streaming is has has started, and then again, you know where where it's going. Like it's it's really uh, exploded in the last five years. And uh, as somebody that luckily. Uh, benefits from from those platforms. I mean, I really think it's an incredible asset to to musicians. Yeah, the the ratios could be better for for music. So, but. Brian, as a uh, as a songwriter, as as a song composer, what would you say is the most? I don't want to say influential because I don't think it's going to necessarily influence your musical yeah. uh, experience. Yeah, yeah. But like, what would you say is the most important? I don't know, because of fair use laws, let's say 20 seconds of this album <laughs> to you. Yeah. And then let's listen to it. Sure, yeah. What, what, where where, where do you think it lies? Good, In good, what song? Good intro into that song, by the way. Uh, I'd say, uh, you know, we uh, Freight, Freight Train uh, is is one of my favorite songs on the record. Um, Anderson Pack is incredibly highlighted on it, and I think it's 
what Kush Modi deemed his single, but it, it really gives a good insight into where this album, uh, where its wheelhouse is uh, yeah. throughout throughout the entire thing. It's a really good uh, uh, snapshot of what the whole record encompasses. And I think that, uh, you know, there's plenty of great songs on the record and we'll, you know, highlight a couple, but I think that Freight Train probably uh, takes the cake. Yeah, it's like the tonal center, I feel like. For yeah, me, oh it, yeah, definitely. It's got like that kind of uh, like thumping bass line. It's got like the funk yeah, synth and a, the funk As a friend of mine licks. says, stompy. Yeah. Which is a <laughs> yeah. new phrase to me, but I love it yeah. because you that totally understand. Stompy. We're going to go right into that. All right. right. Yeah, here's a little bit of Freight Train for you. All right, Brian. So what I am really dying to know is is who <laughs> who is Kush Modi? Who like I, I feel I feel like you're the person to ask. Welcome yeah. to Serial Season like, Three. This who is, is Kush good, Modi? Yeah. Who is Kush Modi? Well, shit. Uh, it, it's a good it's a good goddamn album of someone I've never heard of before. Yeah. Do you, right. do you have the story behind that? Kind of came uh, out of nowhere. I, I would I would uh, not claim to know him on any sort of personal level or know phony. But but I you know from somebody that benefited from the Discover Weekly function on Spotify, I I, I feel like you know it, it inspired me to look further into who this human is, and you know he's he's got a lot of really really awesome songs on his record yeah and uh and aside from from the creature comforts album it's I mean, a pretty small discography right yeah i mean he's he's but he you know in, in the in that he hasn't really released a ton of music he still has has some quality songs on there and the fact that he's not as well known as uh as he should be you know given especially i mean energy pack is like on half the songs he's on huge. creature comforts right. that's a lot he's, he's huge he's a big dude right now and, I, and i'm sure kush is benefiting from from anderson pack's uh uh clout but sure. uh, you know the fact that he hasn't exploded because i think from a production level uh he's really figured something out the album the album does something that I think a lot of great albums do. Kanye's graduation, uh, college dropout. I mean, there are like little interludes throughout the entire record where it, it really it's even though it's a collection of songs, uh, and I and I and I want to separate that uh, element from it being a record because a record, you know, Alt J kind of when I think of records. It's an all-encompassing body of work. They all flow really congruently together. Sure, and maybe this is where I failed <clears throat> with understanding um, Woodstock earlier. Uh, from, is, yeah, the portrait is, that, is yeah. that maybe what I was hearing was a collection of songs, but what I was presented with was an album, right? right. You've got one piece of album right. art. You've got ten songs in a row. Right. You've got you don't have any interludes one, two, right. and three yeah, to exactly. tell you this is a different set exactly. of things. It, it, it is when you're going to make an album, make an album. It, and I totally get that with with this uh, creature comforts and a collection of songs. Yeah. I think it's called. Is, is he told you right up front? This is some music. Yeah, here it is. Right, listen to it. Right. Well, and, and and the fact the fact that I mean it's a small detail. Like when artists create records, you know, I'm sure it runs through their brain. Like, should I make these small 15 second spots that are going to that are going to inter interconnect the the different the different songs? But it's yeah, also they're something they're yeah important. They're they're I mean they're great for telling a story. I mean, you look at any great film, and they're going to have filler spots that that make the transitions a little bit better. And the the Cushmo. Record creature comforts those interludes 
are in in my opinion they're different they break the mold they're a little bit innovative they're not necessarily as it, i mean you you understand interludes to be uh helping with the flow of the of the record but they're really they seem kind of some of them seem uh, in place but a lot of them seem out of place which i for whatever reason with the way that the album is sonically presented it seemed to flow, yeah. which was a in- very interesting juxtaposition when you think about how albums are created. So, so when you're talking about like interludes, and that makes me think of, um, it made me honestly, it made me think of like film. Yeah. So, like when you're doing like scene transitions, like if you want to say so and so character is going to so and so, like what do you do? The generic thing is show like a billboard with the city name, right. or like th- yeah. uh, like a really iconic skyline. Or if you've ever seen the room, it's it's with the same car the driving same over shot the same over and over bridge. again. Yo, the same so shot. A bunch of uh, it's terrible. Uh, hey, we I are we are not legally liable for anything our guests say. The yeah. room sucks. Brian's wrong. But like what, when there's a movie, movie that does interludes and like location type shots I did not do it <laughs> i did not <laughs> it's Sorry. my mom she has cancer <laughs> anyway we'll never talk about this again it'll never come up again anyway here's interlude two yeah from creature so, comforts and a collection of songs yeah, yeah. by kushmodi yeah so like yeah the room is obviously like a case study on what not to do with film yeah. but when like when a film yeah, right. does that really well and they like they they uh, you know go between location to location in interesting ways. Yeah, that just works. Yeah, and so like that's that's really refreshing to see on an album. Definitely, with, like like interludes that are just interesting and then sort of lead you to another place. Right, right, right. Because you could go with the generic. Oh, look, I'm in San Francisco. There's the Golden Gate Bridge. Or you could do it in a way that's interesting and different. And oh, yeah, like, innovative. My- my favorite, um, my favorite album by Muse is um, Absolution, and there is a, a track on Absolution that I believe is named Interlude, and it's yeah. basically just like na 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 until it's in the key that the next song's gonna be yeah. in. And right. I was always like, that's not really an interlude. That's just a. That's a that's a prolonged key change. Right. But with this album, I felt like each there's three main sections to it, right? And each section sort of have its has its own feel. Right. We start off and it's really jazzy and it's really bass driven and yeah. then, then we hit an interlude and then we hit an interlude and then we hit another thing. And yeah. it, it's just a whole different beast yeah. each time that the uh, interlude hits the pavement. Yeah. And 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 his use of I mean a lot of people uh, especially if you're if you're getting people in that are featuring like Anderson Pack or you know even Kush Kush has a great voice and he's he's obviously a great producer and songwriter but uh, the fact that he is because <clears throat> it's a brave thing to put together a instrumental and say that's got a a solid place on a record. Yeah. That, that that is one of vocalists. that is one of huge. the three pieces of punctuation this album has, right? right? You've got three songs or four songs, and then uh, interlude one, and then like four songs and interlude two, and yeah. that, that is like that's it, right? Yeah. That's the period. That's the exclamation point. Right. That is the piece. Yeah, right. Of punctuation, exactly. this whole thing does. Yeah. So at any rate, I mean, he's really he's really tying together a lot of uh, interesting uh, composition concepts. And and they all flow really well, and I think that that uh, having the ability to uh, to not only hear that as a producer, but also uh, then then convey it 
is, you know, it's a whole different beast, uh, especially when you're in a studio and you're in a high pressure situation. Like, you know, who I, I, I don't know this. I don't know if he made this in his bedroom or if he made it in an incredible, uh, in, in like an incredible studio that LA has to offer. But for the most part, you know, like it could have been a bedroom composition and he, he delivered and, and, and well, yeah, I mean, that's, what's so great about like home studio equipment is that it's never been like cheaper than it is right now. Yeah, people are really taking it away. And honestly, that's what I feel about this whole thing. Is is this, what's crazy to me is 15 years ago, this album, if it was out and people had heard it, mm-hmm. some big old studio producer would have said, this is it, this is the sound. Yeah. And they would have, they would have bet big and it, but they could have paid for it to be on, you know, 109.69 The River or whatever. Sure. Like, they could have gotten it everywhere. Sure. And instead, what we've got right now, and it's great and terrible, is that we've got this amazing album sitting around that nobody can make be heard because right. it's good, right. but it's not what you're comfortable with. I think, I think that... Uh, and and all that to say, I, I I really believe that despite the fact that this came out in like fourteen or yeah, it was like twenty fourteen. Yeah, the yeah. fact that it came out a couple years ago. Really... Oh shit! It came out on October twenty first, which was really a time in twenty fourteen <laughs> where people. <laughs> it was fifty four minutes long. That was a yeah, reference to no. Well, the fact that it came out three years ago is you know it says a lot because the you know spotify's a and r team or whoever's picking these different these different uh songs for discover weekly or whoever came up with the algorithm to to be able to differentiate between songs in in the contemporary versus songs that were a couple years back i mean the fact that that's able to happen and and that this comes to to surface at least in my world in in 2017 late 2016 that that says something that we're doing we're doing the right things to move in the right direction to to discovering new music that we as consumers want to be able to expose to be exposed to rather so i think that uh that we're we're gonna we're gonna see a lot more um uh music that that comes out that we're all stoked about and it it doesn't necessarily mean that it's contemporary i mean i remember alabama shakes that that record you know like they were playing that shit out in a bar for for a couple years from my understanding and and then all of a sudden it broke at ato records and and the stage is set now to either be big or be nothing which is the thing it's great and terrible we're we're in a tale of two cities right now where your Mm -hmm. band could be playing the next big thing on itunes Mm -hmm. But unless the right person hears it and writes a check to your name, mm-hmm. ain't nobody gonna hear it. Yeah, right. Well, and the beautiful part about that is, you know, in despite of technology advancing at a rate that's incredible, is that has always been the case. You know, technology adds a specific element of it, of of being advantageous to the artists if they use it correctly, but you know, that shit's always been around. Like you need the right person to hear your songs. We just have more outlets for that to happen now, but that's the, you know, it's an oversaturated market. So then the listeners are like, well, what do we listen to? Cause there's so much out there. Right. You know, everyone has their own home setup. Everyone has a SoundCloud and it's yeah. like a bunch of people kind of screaming into the void, which sounds a little dark. It does, but it's also very accurate because I think most people have sat down with a microphone one day and played, I don't know, 
cold play into their fucking microphone and yeah. been like, I'm a music now. Yeah. And, and I think people get it that just because you made something doesn't mean you made anything. Right. But the brilliant part is that to them brought them a specific amount of happiness and then maybe inspired them to create the next big Kush Modi album. Yeah. You know, Kush Modi probably started at that point, just like I started at that point, just like so many artists start at that point where you're just recording something just to be like, yo, I'm an artist and I need to identify with that title because it's a hard thing to identify with. If you come from any, any facet of life, whether it be a struggling facet or like a very advantageous privileged facet, you know, be identifying with that type of title is hard because you always doubt yourself because being an artist is something that is not a popular thing to be from a financial perspective, socially p- financial perspective. So, Nick, what's your what's your takeaway from this album? What's your takeaway from Creature Comforts? I think and a collection of songs yeah. by Kush Modi. I mean, I guess put put it in the context of like 2017, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I feel like there's like this really, really great resurgence in this style of music. And I feel like this was probably something that kind of helped the way, whether it was like sort of subconscious or not, but like there is so much good, like soul and funk and R and B coming out. And I feel like, yeah, there's like, there's some incredible stuff coming out. And I feel like this is like one of those things that was like sort of in that transitionary period where it's like it's got the funk it's got the blues it's got r&b it's got like all these elements and yeah i feel like that style of music is really making a resurgence now it's truly um i i wish our concept with setting this whole podcast was maybe we were gonna make fun of our guest for their (laughs) favorite album they brought in but brian brought us something that i truly think is worth a listen and and it's kind of shitty for your favorite song to be the first song on an album, but I really think New Days is something that is, yeah. it's it, right? It slaps you in the face. It's like, pay it attention. It slaps you in the face. It sounds a bit like George Clinton. It sounds a bit cool. like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. That's the whole album is it sounds a bit like Parliament and it sounds a yeah. bit like Zeppelin. It's your yeah. favorite things, but it's, it's like. It's funk and it's rock, but it's but it's R&B yeah. and it's hip hop the whole time and you didn't even know. Yeah. And, uh. I think we're going to send you out with uh, a song that, uh, I don't know, Brian, what do you, what, what, what do you, what do you think is the main takeaway song? From, from All I Need? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it definitely fits within the wheelhouse of the album. Um, and from, from an artist's perspective, I suppose if you, despite what your medium may be, uh, whether, you know, whether it's, uh, painting or uh, graphic or uh, uh, music. Mm -hmm. I think that all I need really epitomizes the artist. And, and it really, uh, it really, I, 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 as an artist identify with the song. Um, I, there are thousands of songs that have been, that have been written in in the vein of all I need lyrically. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, well, yeah, all four stories are already told. Yeah. Right. You know, like, but this, this is as far as a contemporary, song i i really identify with this one the most in in an artist's vein uh it, it's it's got the same jazz hip-hop quality about it the composition uh flows really really well um it makes sense uh it's it's got a really cool breakbeat uh percussive element to it um 
So, I mean, you know, the record's great. Listen to the whole thing. <laughs> Don't just listen to these Yeah, songs. just listen to all just of it. The whole thing. It's a collection of songs for a reason, but right. all I need is definitely uh, one, of, one of my favorites, uh, subjectively. We're going to send you out from this segment with All I Need, and we'll be right back with a cold one with the boys. So the last segment of the show, as you are soon to learn, is something brewed. And what we're going to do here is we're going to open a new beer, something we've never tasted before. And none of the three of us have ever tasted this before. We're going to sniff it 16 times, you know, like a professional. But what's really going to come down to it is, is, is we're going we're gonna to have a taste. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the beer. And we'll get into what the most important part of tasting beer truly is. Just fucking having a conversation with your friends. <laughs> so what I want to say is, as I will say forever from now on, Cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. Cheers. There it is. Cheers. All right. Thanks for having me on. Today we're drinking. Oh, good. Didn't expect Maracaibo Especial, special brown ale from a Jolly Pumpkin Brewing. And the way they describe this is a rich brown ale inspired by the enigmatic monastic brews of Belgium and the mysterious mist-shrouded jungles of the tropics. Ooh, Brewed PR with team. real cacao and spesh spiced... Okay, hold on. You're going to have to cut this, Nick. <laughs> no, he's not. And spiced with cinnamon and sweet orange peel for its sensual delight. A brew to be sipped, savored, and enjoyed. And at the end of the day, so Jolly Pumpkin is a uh, a local-ish brewery to us. They're based out of Michigan. Mm-hmm. They've got four or six or ten. I can't really keep track locations. Mostly sours or farmhouse, really the, the, the organic stuff. And Do they really have that many locations? I think it's four. Wow. I think it's the smallest amount, I said. But what we've got in front of us and what you're welcome to enjoy with us if you, you know, catch the title far enough in advance is... <laughs> Really nice tart brown. It almost it almost has some like nutmeggy type of like yeah. flavors to it. You know, most people aren't familiar with sours. Fall. Yeah, a lot of a lot of fall. People aren't really familiar with sours, but this is a sour brown definitely. But what we're tasting here is is cocoa and orange peel like a like a chocolate orange on Christmas. Yeah, and it's just not what you'd expect what? in this tart, refreshing taste. What makes a sour a sour? Do we know that? I do know that. Um, so, <laughs> okay, so there's there's two important factors here. Britannomyces is a wild fermenting yeast that is actually technically a fungus, and that takes a long time to ferment. Okay. But what makes it that makes it funky? That's okay. what makes it the uh, the weird funky farmhouse flavor you're familiar with. But gotcha. it's Britannomyces does that, and. Uh, <laughs> Yes, this is the part of the show where I I, <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> Pediac the hosts. <laughs> Pediacacus and um oh shoot, what's the other one? It's a bacteria. Hold on, this is all this I mean, Pediacacus. Okay, <laughs> God damn it. I'm so bad at talking about beer. I am like same. That's why I asked the question. I, 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 don't, I don't know very much. Yeah, you're going to make me describe what makes a sour a sour in episode one. They're going to be like, what a fucking beer. Okay, three. Two. Uh. is is a, a bacteria commonly found in your feet. And like, ergo, pedio. And that makes beer sour as well as lactobacillus, 
which is a uh, active culture commonly found in yogurt. So at the end of the day, a full sour. You've, you, kettle sours are sort of the super popular thing right now. And the way they make those is you take um, lactobacillus or pediococcus and you fucking just put it in there, which a, a container of Greek yogurt, that's enough. You oh. take that, you let it sour for a month, you boil it off so everything dies, uh-huh. and then you make beer out of it. That's a kettle sour. A true, true sour beer is fermented by Britannomyces while being soured by either or both Pediococcus and huh. Lactobacillus. Okay. So that, that's how you make a sour beer. And it's not honestly super interesting. I, I asked but the question. But that's how it's for, done. I was going to say, I asked the question for a reason. I think, I you think did. it's. I think it's uh, you brought this upon yourself. I did. Brian. I know. No, I know. <laughs> it's, 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 re- it's really good, though. And, I, and I'm glad that I know. Uh, I You know, if you ask me to spot that same thing back, good luck at this point. <laughs> but I, ne- I never, I never would have guessed that, that cocoa and orange peel would play with like a tart. Almost like a tart apple flavor, almost. I got that yeah. in a Christmas stocking once. What was that? Those balls with chocolate? The oh, orange yeah. chocolate. I, oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm Polish. I think that's kind of a common thing. We get yeah, those every year. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. like a Christmas tradition for me. We get gotcha. like the, the orange, the dark orange I got toothpaste and floss. My, my dad's a dentist, so good for, <laughs> good for you guys. So, Brian, <laughs> Brian, you're, you are... How would you, how would you describe your relationship with your band? With the uh, band, less is more. Which is founder or no 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 no. Well, y- well. So yes, yes no, and no no no. I mean so yes it, and it's it's got a lot of uh it's got a lot of uh, layers to it. So uh, less is more. Uh, it was the the inception of less is more was uh, Jane, who's the female vocalist, and I. And, now, uh, for full disclosure, because I think people want that, that is your fiance. That's my fiance. That's right. And she'll uh, and and wife come <laughs> September, which is awesome. Uh, so you're gonna invite me to that, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, it's, we're doing it's a, in recording now, so you have to. We're doing a we're doing a bar crawl. By the way, I don't know if you guys are into this, but oh, nice. we're doing a bar crawl here in Kalamazoo. And if you guys don't take work off, I'm gonna take it personally. But uh, <laughs> the the the, the uh, what I was gonna say about less is more though is like. So we, we started out as a as an acoustic folk duo, which is which was great. And and it came kind of out of necessity because we could only afford acoustic instruments. And then we moved to Kalamazoo after a national tour and met up with some incredible people. A national tour? I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So we went uh, we booked a national tour and it was you know, it was DIY. It was as DIY as it gets. There's no agencies involved. It was a lot of uh, me schmoozing, not knowing yeah. how to schmooze. Yeah, just you and just you and Jane with uh, with what a, a we had a, a film, guitar and a yeah. So a guitar, a ukulele, and a sound system, and and we just did it grassroots for about three and a half to four months. But we did bring along some friends who uh, uh, they're they're actually under the moniker Sculpted Films right now. Sculpted Films. and uh, and they're they're incredible people. Copyright someone else. Yeah, <laughs> and they're they're incredible people. They they're specifically wedding videographers right now, but they also do a lot of uh, of creative stuff. And so we brought them on the road with us, and they documented the, the whole thing, and it was kind of a giant yeah. giant adventure. And so then we moved to Kalamazoo, met up with uh, Michael Gard and. And uh, Matthew Milo, mm-hmm. and they're yeah. they're both incredible musicians. The the whole city of Kalamazoo has a lot of really really talented musicians, and yeah. so uh, I, I we didn't I didn't know that when we moved here. I actually was kind of in the camp of uh, Detroit. I, I didn't really 
care to move to Kalamazoo. Yeah, but I'm it, a little torn on this one because I'm from Detroit <laughs> and I live in Kalamazoo, so yeah. I'll defend whatever side of that you want to hear me yeah, defend. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So, like, I, I really I really like Kalamazoo uh, after being here for, for a couple of years and especially being around uh, the crowd that I've been around in the last year. It's been it's been nice. But the, the point is, uh, it's definitely not uh, your typical band. It's very democratic. Uh, there's a lot. Well, hell yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in a lot of bands that you got, you got your person who writes the songs, schedules sure. the shows and, and does does the front. You're telling work. me you're not Father John Misty. No. No, no, no. And anyway, that was Brian. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, no. Keep, keep going. All, res- all respect to Father John. Uh, just you know, he's he's got his own thing going. We're we're a lot we're a lot more um, appeasing as a uh, as a collective of musicians, and and we really take into account all of our musical tastes. Uh, you know, Sword and Milo both bring a really cool like. Uh, Krautrock, yeah, I mean, 80s I, vibe. M. Sword is a, is a local fixture. Oh, right? yeah. He's I mean, absolutely. I mean, and, and if you've ever seen a show, like there's a reason why. And, and Milo's been in so many really incredible folk bands in the last several years, and he's really new to playing bass, uh, just like we're honestly new to music as far as uh, on, on paper goes. And, uh, you know, like, it's it's a really cool uh collective of musicians that that work together and and uh you know we're we're starting this new journey as uh as another band we're still under the moniker less is more but uh it's it's on the way out hell yeah so yeah we're we're getting ready to campaign some other some other stuff and uh and make some moves and uh and I think uh, having the two of of them uh, bring up the percussive side of things have really influenced us and the taught old, us a lot. The of old ways. rhythm section. There, man. I, as far as the rhythm section goes, I you know I'd venture far far enough to say that they're the best rhythm section in the state of Michigan. Ooh. As as a tandem, they're <laughs> they're they've got, they've got th- I know, I know, and I'll get a lot of I'll get a lot of uh of uh pushback cuz everybody's got a favorite, but man, they're they're incredible. So guys, a question I kind of want to end this whole thing with every time is have you seen any good movies lately? Oh my Nick, god. Nick, you're first. And the oh. thing is, it doesn't have to be new. But have you seen any good movies lately? Uh, and no is a totally fine option. Uh, so I, I mean, I, uh, I've been collecting a lot of movies for a long time, and uh, I've uh, had a lot. A, of, you're a collector. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a real collector. You're a collector. But I've had a lot in my collection that I just, I bought because I looked at it. I was like, well, this seems culturally, culturally relevant or interesting or something. So I, I just picked it up, you know. And I actually just watched the uh, the first Alien movie. Oh yeah, uh, a few oh, weeks wow. ago. Yeah. No, I had never seen it before. Those films are really like yeah. becoming relevant again with the Prometheus sort of series. Yeah, going on. and then what, I'm a Predator fan personally. I have not <laughs> see see. I figured that's why I've kind of stayed away from stayed away. Oh my god, I've kind of stayed away from like all the newer Sour. stuff. Alien yeah. v this beer. Yeah, <laughs> which as it as it warms up is. Still pretty delightful, but I'm, I'm I I guess it. I didn't realize it is in fact 
Seven point five percent. It drinks like uh, it drinks like tonic, so not yeah. exactly anything, but a lot a lot better than the fireball we had on the way over here. <laughs> anyway, so regarding Alien, though, um, it's one of those movies where obviously, like the most famous scene is like the chestburster scene, right? Sure. Of course, it's a grotesque scene. It's a shock film, penetrating. Yeah. But you know, after I watched that movie, I I looked up. Uh, I looked up a bunch of the work of H.R. Uh, Geiger, who is like the the, oh, the main boy, artist behind all that started. kind of stuff. And I just I love practical effects. Sure. So like Evil Dead One, Evil Dead Two, like sure. all those yeah. sort of you know prosthetics and just makeup and costumes. So like when they you know when the the alien bursts out of uh, John Hurt's chest and then kind of runs away, it's it's kind of comical because the alien pops up, like looks at him and then it just like ream, like runs away and it looks, <laughs> it looks kind of uh, silly, but I love stuff like that. I love old movies that use practical effects that sure. work like, you know, Mad Max Fury Road when that came out, that's like 90% practical effects. Yeah, so the single that I won't, I won't take you too far down this rabbit hole, but like the single shot aesthetic is is one of the most important things in film. Difficult. The fact that, yeah, Mad totally Max difficult. Is, yeah. is almost an entire... There's an episode of Always Sunny. Anyway, we'll get back to that in a few episodes. But Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I hadn't seen that movie ever, and I figured I should watch it, and I watched it, and yeah, it's it's great. I love... Cool. You know, old sci-fi with yeah. practical effects and just that. It's type a of good style. series, Brian. Too. It's a really good. Brian, series. have you seen any any good movies lately? Oh man, one. Have you seen a I, good movie? Yeah, oh yeah. You're totally. allowed. I mean, aside I from make the room, clear. aside from the room, which you're allowed to say no. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, you know, I can't say no. You're watched, no, you're allowed to say this no, isn't. No, yes, no. and this it's, isn't. It's creative. It's creative. You uh, can say no. So, uh, Silicon Valley as a show has been something I really recently picked up. And but HBO has been doing very well. Oh man, yeah, money, give us money. Uh, but the Grilla. <laughs> but the uh, the show that I most recently watched uh, movie was uh, probably House. Have you seen that? It's a Japanese horror film. Wait, House, the one, he's, he's a good doctor. Nope. But he's a, di- oh. Nope, Houseu. It's, uh, it's a Japanese horror film. It's a cult classic similar to The Room. Um, you know, I'm going to leave you and the potential listeners on that because it's just something that. It's that good and you don't want to describe it? No. Nah. It's a horror film. Fuck, it's a Japanese horror good. film. That's pretty on, uh, good. It's, on, uh, it's, on what platforms are we able to find this? So. Uh, you can probably find it on YouTube, and if not on YouTube, there are some illegally downloaded sites that you could probably... Which we do not legally condone, and nobody legally <laughs> sure, condones, yeah, but thoughts, it is also just a true fact, so everything's fine. The thoughts and opinions of this program are probably not all whatever, so fuck it, you know. But if you're going to do it, just do it. Just don't, anyway, just don't I, I just... I, I don't know. I don't like movies, so I think we're going to send you out here. Um, <laughs> I, I Thank you to Brian Spencer of Less Is More for joining us. Thank right. you to... For our opening theme song. And uh, for for Nick Lancaster and myself, Andrew J. Pytel, thanks for joining us. This has been Something Old. Something New. Something Borrowed. And something Brewed. This is Less Is More.